We're in Galatians chapter 5, actually. Uh, we just sang that song about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And we've been on this for quite some time. And now we want to look at this Galatians 5. And we want to look at what are the fruit or what is the fruit of the manifestation of the Spirit. Last week we saw the evidences of the Holy Spirit. We spent some time on that. Um, but what we want to see is now what is the fruit? What, what should be manifested in our lives if we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, begin in verse 16 down through verse number 25. The, the fruit of the Spirit is what we're going to be looking at for a number of weeks now. All right? So we're not done with this Holy Spirit series. That was just all introduction to lead us up to what, what it should look like in the life of a follower of Christ who has the Holy Spirit, what should it look like? We're going to see what it shouldn't look like first, just for a few moments, and then we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. But let's start in verse 16. Look what Paul says. He says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. How many of you can bear witness to that? Say amen. Yeah. The sinful nature wants to do evil. But notice this, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Does this, is this bearing witness? Yes? Yeah, you guys kind of getting this? These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful natures, the results are very clear. So what are the the results? What does it look like He says, when you give in to the sinful nature, notice that here's a list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Notice this, hostility, quarreling or fighting, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And then he says, and other sins like these. He says there's a lot more that we could list. And let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, now here's some strong words, anyone living that sort of life, or we could say it like this, or living that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. I could just go off here for a few moments, but it's pretty sad that when denominations, denominations are now splitting, Just recently, a major denomination split because there are actually people who want to preach in the pulpit and to be called pastors who are living that type of lifestyle. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Like, (laughs) 
Paul just said, according to the word of God, if you live that lifestyle, I'll use the first one at the very top of the list. He says sexual immorality. If you are living that type of a lifestyle, you are not going to inherit the kingdom. Yet they want to be the ones who stored the kingdom of God. They want to be pastors of churches. Oh my. God, help us, please. Now, let me ask you something. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? If you do, say amen. amen. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Yeah. Is this truth? Yeah. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Either God's word is true or it's not. Yet somehow we have come to this place, sad to say, that in church, in America, in our culture, that we want to basically allow everything to be acceptable. But the Bible says everything is not acceptable to God. He is a holy God. He is a holy God. And so yet we see here that Paul says that these are the These are what it's going to look like if you give in to your natural desires. He says, but listen, that's not what it's supposed to look like. Somebody say amen. It's not supposed to look like that. You know, everyone talks about how we need revival in America. No, we need revival in churches is what we need. We need churches to get back to God and get back to the word of God. We need to quit I'm sorry, but can I just be really straightforward? We need to start getting people, you know, like called of God and pastors and preachers and people to stand in the pulpit that have at least a little bit of a backbone who still aren't afraid to stand according to the word of God and say, this is thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. We have gotten so soft and we've gotten so, we've compromised so much. We're so worried about what the world thinks and what the world thinks of us. But may I say something to you? We are going to stand before God. I will stand before God and I will give an account, the Bible says, of whether or not I have taught the word of God faithfully. I am much more afraid to stand before God, a compromiser, than I am to worry about what this world thinks of me as a pastor and a preacher and I'm not going to apologize for it are you with me this morning it doesn't mean that we're mean or we're hateful or we're spiteful but at the same time we must be willing to say this is what the Bible says this is what God says this is what the Bible says amen and so he says These are the things that your sinful nature desires and craves. He says, but you have within you this struggle and this battle. And the battle is real and the struggle is real. But then he goes on to say this. He says, here is what the fruit of the Spirit is. If you were to look at verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Notice what the opposite is. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
Those who belong to Christ. Notice what he says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Ooh, I love that. Oh, I just love it. We don't have to live as slaves to our flesh. He gives us victory over our flesh. Amen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have victory. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so as we are filled with the Spirit and we have His Holy Spirit, I shouldn't even have to say this, but we say Holy Spirit But think about those words. What type of spirit is he? He is a what? Holy Spirit. It is amazing to me once again that we have those many times in spiritual leadership who will say that they have a Holy Spirit, but they're not living a holy life. And they are not being an example of what it is to be like As a follower of Jesus Christ, not that we're perfect. Paul says here clearly that we all struggle, that we're in this battle. But what he was saying is this, is that that we will begin to have victory as we have the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. And he says there should be some manifestations of the Spirit, that Holy Spirit that's dwelling within you. And it doesn't mean that we're sinless, but can I say this? If we have a Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we should be sinning less. Amen? We may not be sinless, but we should be sinning less. Amen? And so he says, think about this. He says, the the man who's just allowing himself to just give in to his sinful desires. He says, this, here's an array of things. And he gives a long list. And he says, and there's many more. He said, but those who are, belong to Christ and those who have accepted Christ, his spirit comes in and dwells within them. And as they allow themselves to be led by the spirit and they're guided by the Holy Spirit, what he says in essence is you will begin to sin less, not be sinless, not that you, you know, we'd still don't have that struggle of our flesh. He says, but what will happen is, he says, there's going to be this manifestation. There's going to be love and joy and peace. And you're going to have more patience. And, you know, and, and we sang the song today. You know, all those things that we sang about. He said, these things are going to, we're going to be more like Christ and less like our old self. Amen. And so there's this array, this fruit basket, if you will, of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Corinthians, we, I don't have the passage here, but some of you know it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. Old things are what? Passed away. Behold, all things what? Become new. There should be a change. When Christ comes in, there should be a change. Amen? There should be a change that takes place within us. Because something supernatural took place. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God came within us and dwells within us. We have a new resident, amen? We have a new guest that lives within us. And he not only wants to be the guest, but he wants to rule and reign in our lives. And we're to be submitting to his leadership and his authority in our life. And so he says that 
This fruit of the Spirit, he says there's, really he mentions nine, nine fruits. We'll just take a few moments and look at just the first one, but this is what he says, that if you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, he says the very first manifestation that you're going to see, I think it's interesting, it's at the very top of the list, he says, is love. The Spirit will manifest love within us. I think there's a number of areas, but first and foremost, that when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, we're going to have a love for the Lord. That might seem so basic, so elementary, if you will, but the fact of the matter is that we will have a, a desire and a passion to love God. The truth is, before we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and we had Christ within us, the Spirit within us. Let's be honest, we love our flesh, we love our own desires, we love ourselves far more than we love God. Would you agree with that? And that's how we lived our lives. You see, understand this, he says that when you are born again, when the Spirit comes within you, it it gives you the ability to, to even love God. You know, if you study, the Bible says here, as we're reading that, that there's this great battle, there's this great war. And you'll, you'll study through Scripture, and it says that, that we were once at enmity or enemies of God. And that because of Jesus Christ, the Bible says it uses the big word, it says that we were reconciled to God. It means this, you know, the idea of being reconciled means that we were once enemies, but now we are friends of God. Amen? And the Bible uses these terms, but here's the thing. That before we accepted Christ, before we had the Holy Spirit, we didn't even have the ability to truly love God. Well, we might know about Him, know of Him, but it's interesting that when we accept Jesus Christ, the very first thing that happens is when the Spirit comes within you, all of a sudden, it's like this light bulb. All of a sudden, the light goes on, and not only does the light go on, but now you have this desire to even please God, to love God, to even know who God is. Are you with me? It wasn't there before. In fact, it, the Bible says it like this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, when you love someone, when you truly love someone, you know what it is? You desire to please that person. Are you with me? You do. You desire to please that person because you love them. Because you love them, you will maybe even do things outside your comfort zone. You'll do things that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily do. You'll go places. You know, like my wife and I have two, like, two, a lot of different likes and things. Like my, like my idea of a date is be lazy and eat lots of food. And all God's men said, amen. My wife's idea of a date is she'll eat a, a zone bar and go on a hike for 18 miles. So this past week, we took the two younger ones. We have the olders and the youngers, the biggers and the littles or whatever. We took the littles and my wife's on Friday night. It's like, okay, we're going to have a compromise. Someone, uh, my niece had came to visit and they gave us a gift card for pizza. So she says, here's the compromise. We get pizza and we eat the pizza on the way up the mountain to go on a hike. (laughs) 
And so because I love my wife, I'm going to go on the hike, you know? But I was just, I was like, I'm going to carb load. And I ate the whole, I ate a whole pizza because there were no, my other kids weren't around to help me. My wife and daughter have gluten-free allergies, so they had a little gluten-free, I mean, wimpy pizza over there, you know? (laughs) And I had my, I had my gut busting, you know, like, and I think she did on purpose because then I could just feel, you know, I could just feel it. And then I knew I had to work it off. But when you love someone and you truly love that person, you will do all that you can do to please that person. Are you with me? And when you accepted Jesus Christ, it's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit comes within us. And when the Holy Spirit comes within us, all of a sudden we have this desire to please God and to love God. And this is the problem that we have. Here's the problem. is so many times when people come to church or come to a church, what we try to do is we try to give them all the rules and all the do's and all the don'ts and you need to change how you live and all. No. You know what you need? You need to fall in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with Jesus, you'll want to just do what he asked you to do. It's not even a burden. It's not even a problem. You'll actually want to go hiking, you know? (laughs) That way maybe kiss on the hike or something. I don't know. Something. There's perks, you know? When you fall in love with Jesus, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Amen? It's It's an easy thing. Because you love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We cannot love God like we should without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit equips us and enables us to truly love God. To have a heart for him. The other thing that I see, and again, this sounds so basic and so elementary, but when you fall in love with the Lord, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you know what happens is when you have the Holy Spirit, he enables you to love others. To love others that aren't even always that lovely. You know what I mean? Jesus says this when he was here on earth. He says, what is the greatest commandment? They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the what? Lord your God with all your heart soul, and mind. By the way, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit, right? And then he says this, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, he said, on these two laws, hang all the law and prophets. On these two things, you could basically sum up the whole Bible, really. That's what Jesus said. Sum up the whole Bible and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might, with all your ability. Can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, you cannot do that without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Come on, right? (laughs) Yeah, you need help (laughs) with that one. And it is so true. We'll have a love for the lost. It's interesting. In Matthew 9, it says this, that Jesus was moved with compassion. And it talks about how he spoke to the multitudes and how he healed the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. You see, love is an action. Love moves us. Jesus 
demonstrated what it was to love the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind. By the way, there was no one more filled with the Holy Spirit than the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in the scripture that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. It tells us clearly that Jesus was led by the Spirit. When Jesus went into the wilderness, it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Bible tells us that Jesus was filled with the the Spirit. Jesus was the example of what it was like to live completely yielded 100% of the time to the Holy Spirit. In fact, as we were studying in Sunday school today, that Jesus was there in the garden and his own Jesus nature, his own sinful, he didn't have sin, but his own flesh nature, I should say. His own flesh nature, by the way, that desired to not want to do what God had called him to do. Are you with me? Jesus that never sinned because he completely yielded to the Spirit. He prayed in the garden. And his own flesh said, I don't want to go through with this. He says, but what? Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. You see, Jesus had the same flesh, if you will, that you and I had. He was 100% God and 100% man. He had the same desires. The Bible says that he was tempted just like you and I in every point, in every way, yet he did not sin. Why? Because he lived 100% yielded to the Holy Spirit. He set that example. And so Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And while he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it brought forth love, his compassion was evident. It says he was moved with compassion. So in every way, he went through everything that we went through, but he did not sin. He was without sin. And he became our perfect substitute. Amen? And he died on the cross for us. But understand that Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and although he was God in the flesh, he still clothed himself. This is hard for our minds to comprehend. He clothed himself in humanity and he became flesh, the Bible says. Right? Are you with me? Which means he knew what it was like to be hungry. Remember when he fasted, it says he was hungry. He said, I thirst. He knew what it meant to be thirsty. He felt everything that you and I feel. The Bible says he was tempted just like you and I were tempted. And, and this is a whole other thing, but can I just remind you of something? It is not a sin to be tempted. It is only sin when we give in to the temptation. Are you with me? Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, remember? As he goes out into the wilderness, he was tempted. And what does he do? He quotes scripture. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And he, and he uses scripture. And, and what an example he sets for us. But he was completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. And as he was completely yielded to the Holy Spirit, we see that the manifestation that he had was that of love. That he loved those that were even unlovely. That as he hung on the cross... He cried out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing, right? That is a demonstration of love. He loved his neighbor. You know, when we look at the world that we live in today, I can tell you one thing that I've noticed is this is, and I don't know if it's just that I'm more sensitive to it, 
Some of you that have been around for a while, you know, like myself, and some of you are much longer. Some of you much, much, much longer. <laughs> have you noticed that this world seems to have less and less compassion? It just seems like, man, less and less just compassion. Less patience, road rage. We're seeing it. We're seeing what it looks like in a world where people are being not governed by the Holy Spirit, but rather by their flesh. And just giving over to whatever it is that they desire to do. A world with so little compassion. It's so little kindness and love. I think I might just share one thing with you. It's been a little over a year ago. Probably one of the worst, most difficult days of our life. I was volunteering down at a place called Caring Ministries. It's a place for where people come for food, and it's a major food distribution, one of the largest in the Southwest. They send food into Mexico. I had the privilege to serve on the board there, and literally tens of thousands, millions of pounds of food get distributed, and I was down there volunteering, and I remember I had my phone. My phone rang, and my wife called, and she's crying. She can't hardly, she can't breathe. It's one of those just terrible phone calls. And she's like, she's like, Joe, come home. Makai is gone. We can't find him. We don't know where he is. Now, for some of you who don't know, Micaiah, he's now just turned six. He has autism. And I guess you could say would be basically, obviously at that time, nonverbal. It's Tucson, late spring. That day it was almost, almost 100. So it's like a spring day in Tucson. <laughs> it's almost 100. Right at about 100 degrees. Hot. And we have locks on the doors. We're very careful, but it just, they called eloping for some that maybe don't understand, but they'll just run. They just want to go. Some of you deal with this. Some of you live with this grandchildren or children or people you know. And so he was barefoot. He had his little, he had his iPad. And I mean, God was definitely at work, but my, my daughter, who's usually at work, happened to be home. And our dog was out front. And she's like, how did the dog get out front? And when she went, realized the front door's open, and he'd already been gone for some time. Rattlesnakes are... We had already killed a couple in, our, in and around our yard. Rattlesnake time, hot, barefoot, thorns, thistles, busy roads, busy highways all around us. And right behind us, golf course. And we're thinking, where, where do you even begin? And if you call him, he won't come. And he won't come to his name when you call him. And then usually he'll just keep going. And so my wife and my daughter and my now 11-year-old, 10-year-old at the time, they go out looking. They, we call 911. My wife calls me, and I'm just tr- 
immediately, I just told people, pray, please pray. And I get in my car, and I'm, it's about a 25, 30-minute drive just trying to get there. And I'm praying. I'm telling you, I am calling out to God, praying. Because if he gets out too far, once he gets out, these washes and these, just, you just, it's just thick, it's dense, and we have washes. Call them a wash, but it's basically desert all around us. Once you get tired and hot and dehydrated, you sit down. It's busy, busy road. And so my wife, you know, calls 911. Police are out looking. My wife and my daughter and my other daughter, they go out and they just start running. And, they're, and, <laughs> and here's the thing that was just unbelievable we learn more, you know, later, but they would go and basically people would, oh, we think we, one person, we think we saw him running that way. You saw a little kid barefoot with an iPad running through, through the, basically through the desert, you know, and, caught, and you're not going to do anything. Not making this up. My daughter who's crying and going from golfer to golfer, my wife, my little 10-year-old daughter, crying, they had contact with between 30 and 40 different human beings, people. I'm talking people who have enough time to golf in the middle of the day, okay? One even said, good luck. No one. Finally, one person said, well, here, you can get in my golf cart. No one even stopped their golf game. No one stopped to help. It blows my mind. You see a woman crying, begging for help. You see a 10-year-old crying, saying he can't talk, he has autism. Have you seen, oh, we saw him that way. You can't even stop and get in your golf car and drive down there. tell you, it was heart-wrenching. It was over 40 minutes that he was gone. God did hear her prayers. We thought it was a runner that had found him, grabbed him. My wife posted a video on Facebook, and she was like, well, I don't want to hate. I was like, no, I do want to hate. I want everyone to know how. <laughs> she goes, but my wife said, if you see a need, do something. Like, you know, basically act. If something doesn't look right, act. It's sad that we live in a world now, we have to post videos on, hey, help someone. A long story short, it got a lot of views, and it came back because we wondered, who was this person who found him, grabbed him? And he said, well, I want to, can I call you? Can I talk to you? My wife's like, sure. We thought we were going to get reprimanded because, you know, like, and basically what he says, no, it's a lot worse than what you thought. By chance, he happened to be home at lunch. Didn't even have his shoes on, and he was standing on his back patio. And he said, all I could see was this little afro going across the, the golf course. So I saw this little afro bouncing, barefoot, iPad. He goes, something wasn't right. And so he, 
He said, I couldn't jump the fence, so I went in quick and put my shoes on. And he lived in this cul-de-sac, and he had to run around the cul-de-sac. Put his shoes on, he said, and I started chasing him. And he was running right down the middle of the street. And he said, by the way, he is fast. Put him in track. Because <laughs> he was a track runner. It's a good thing he was a runner. And he was in his early 20s. Good thing he was young. And so he started running. And he said, I took everything I could to catch up to this kid. But he was a really sad fact. As he said, there were cars who were just swerving around him and they just kept on going. He said, one older couple pulled over and stopped, but they were older and didn't, they were just kind of shocked, didn't know what to do. And as he was running, we, there's a four lane, I'm talking four lane major highway. When my wife finally did get him, when the police had him, we did get him, he kept saying, trucks, trucks, trucks. He was wanting to go see the trucks. But he has no idea of the danger. And so the guy just screamed, just yelled, ah, and he stopped for a second. It started him, and he was able to grab him right before he went out into that four-lane road. Of course, obviously, he had no clue. Then the police got there, then they called my wife, and then we were able to get him. He made it a good, it was a three-quarters of a mile to a mile or something like that, away from the house. He had little thistles and thorns in his feet. He was dehydrated. Obviously, we're thankful. Thank God for that one person who had compassion. Amen. I'm so thankful for that one person that actually did something. But here's what I'm trying to say. The point is it really hit me that day. That I'm, It's sad, but living in that community, it was, I was like, this is disgusting. Can I just be really honest? I was disgusted. I said, I couldn't believe how disgusting it is that we live in a, a community where we're talking about affluent, wealthy people who are, have nothing better to do than to play golf, but they're too busy to stop playing golf to help a child. God help us. Yes, we are so thankful for that gentleman who stopped and intervened. Amen? who was moved by compassion. But I can't but help but think of the many who did absolutely nothing. I still remember seeing the one golfer when we were all crying and hugging him after police brought him back. He goes, oh, happy ending. You want to know when you have the Holy Spirit? I know I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I wanted to say, it, wouldn't, it shouldn't be a happy ending for you, my friend. I looked over there and I thought, wow, wow, you did nothing. Oh, happy ending. That's when you know you have the Holy Spirit, gives you patience. (laughs) When we're being led by the Spirit, we'll have compassion The parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the whole story. We don't have time to go into it. But remember, so relevant, isn't it? The ones who, who should have been moved with compassion, remember the priest, the church-going guy, the priest, the spiritual leader, he goes across on the other side. The Levite, who's basically the temple, he has a temple attendant. He, he's on staff, so to speak, at the temple. He walks by on the other side, and what does Jesus do? Jesus tells the story. Because the man says, well, who is my neighbor? 
you know, like Jesus says, love your neighbor as myself, as yourself. And he says, oh, well, who's my neighbor? Almost trying to find a way to get out of, of loving people, right? And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you the story. And so he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And then we have the Samaritan. Don't you love how Jesus uses the, the, the outcast of society as the hero in the story? I love it. It, wasn't a Jew, it was a Jewish man who got beat up and robbed. And here the priest, who was a Jewish man, doesn't even love his own brother enough to intervene and help. And then that we see the, the Levite, and he, what does he do? He walks by on the other side in, in Luke chapter 10. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, the hero of the story, the one that you all despise, the Samaritan, he came and he took care of him and had showed compassion on him. Amen? I love how Jesus just kind of rubs the salt in the wound a little bit, you know? <laughs> and so the good Samaritan, and he says, who? Who was the one who loved his neighbor? And he has to, can you picture this, this religious man have to swallow his pride and be like, well, it's the Samaritan, you know? Then we should have our love for the brethren. Just a couple quick passages, we're done. John 13, 34 and 35, if we have it up there. He says this, remember what Jesus said, so now I'm, I'm giving you a new commandment. What's this new commandment? It's interesting. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He said this is a new commandment. Why was it a new commandment? The new commandment was this. He said you're not only to love each other, but here was the new part, the new commandment. Love each other. What did Jesus say? The way what? I love you. It's, a much, it's not just a, a like or a love, but a true, genuine love. Look at John 15. He says a little bit later to his disciples, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, if we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, it will be manifested, right? It's going to show. It's going to come out. What's on the inside will come out. Heard a wise man say this. Hopefully I can get it right. What's in the well comes out in the water. What's in the tree comes out in the fruit. Amen? And if you and I have a Holy Spirit dwelling within us. You want to know something? We're going to be demonstrating love one toward another. Amen? The love that Christ had. The same kind of love that Jesus Christ had where he was willing to lay down his life even for his enemies. If you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be manifested in the way that we love. And he said, by this all men will take notice, amen, that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ because you'll have love one toward another. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? And you know, I'm finished, and we're going to pray. But so many times when we think about being filled with the Spirit, you know, we want all this like supernatural, spooky, you know, like all this weird stuff. Can I just say this? If we would just, if this world could just see a little bit more love, can you imagine the impact it would have? 
if we just loved the way that Jesus has commanded us to love, if we loved one another the way that Christ loves us, wouldn't this world be a better place? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we love you.